We are so happy that you are able to join us for today's message. Our hope is that it will encourage you in your walk with God and inspire you to reach those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com. Enjoy the message. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning from a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, and, and it says this. It says, watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now, even as I speak, and you're about to see it. I'm preparing a way through the desert. Waters will flow where there had been none. And in the NIV, it puts it like this. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Throughout the scripture, the Old and New Testament, continually God is provoking his people. He's provoking us that he wants to do something new. You know, the, pierce, the person I am today isn't the person I should be next year, right? God wants to change me and shape me and grow me. And God wants to continually take us on personal adventures in God, right? But we come into the next thing that he has for us, the next miracle, the next thing we're believing for. And so this, right here now, I know there'll be all kinds of things as you're heading into 2020 that God will have been whispering to you about. He's been speaking something into your heart, into your spirit. For some of us, it's something that's just been spoken recently. For others, it's something God's been whispering for years. And the start of the new year is prompting you, is this the year? Is this the year? I want to encourage you that God is provoking us through his word that now's the time. I'm doing something new right now. It's happening. And so we're going to look at this passage of scripture today and kind of get into that. But you know, this year, 2019, something big happened for me. It's big. Are you ready? I moved from an Apple Mac computer, yeah, to a Microsoft-based computer. Oh, my, my knees almost buckled. So I had, a, I had, I had a MacBook Air. It was dating. You know what I mean? I was trying to do updates on this thing. It was going, it's full. You know, it wouldn't take the latest stuff. It kind of had, the compatibility wasn't working. But I just, I just was used to it. You know what I mean? Like I loved it. I knew it. I had this great relationship with it, right? And here's the deal. I, I'm, not, I'm not just a new person to Mac. I've been with Mac since the year 2000. We've got a 20-year relationship. I've been, I've, I've been into Mac for so long that I call it Macintosh. Yeah, come on. Apple Macintosh. People, that's the proper name. This Apple Mac is the new version, the shortened version. Apple Macintosh. Who remembers that? Come on, there's a few people here. Right, so, so it's been a long deal, right? But, but, I, but I made the change. People kept telling me you're going to get better connectivity, better storage, the price is better. There's all these reasons. And I made the change, and it was good. And it's instilled faith in me, right? So now I'm considering changing from the iPhone to an Android-based device. Oh, come on. Come on. I'm creating some disunity in the house. And, but here's the deal, man. I've had an iPhone since since. 2008, they came out in 2007, so I've been with them since version one, right? We've moved off of numbers now, we're into letters, mate, the Z and whatnot, you know, the X. So, so I've been with the iPhone a long time, right? But people keep telling me, hey, Spencer, listen, you're gonna, you, Apple's locking you into a whole bunch of stuff, mate. You're basically being scammed. You need to come over to Android. Listen, the, the, the Galaxy's better, the Google Pixel is better. You kind of got to make the jump. And, and, I, and I know all the reasons why, and, and they're convincing, 
but my, my resistance is that I just know how to use this. Like I know there's something better, but I'm just familiar with it. You know, I'm, I'm used to using it. But then it occurred to me, I used to feel exactly the same about this bad boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I had one of those, right, I remember someone said to me, there's a new phone coming out, it's called the BlackBerry. It's got a full QWERTY keyboard. I was like, ooh, I don't know, mate. I can type pretty fast with one finger. I, you know what? This phone does predictive text. You know, I, and then someone said, no, you can get a full QWERTY keyboard. They said to me, you can get email on your phone. And I took the plunge and I took the jump. I want to encourage you that so often we want the new thing. We want the new thing. So God will show us something. He will give you a vision or a dream and you want it. You want the benefits of that future. You want to live in that future. You want that good thing that God's promising to you. But our fear often is of the change. It's the journey to get there. So it's not the destination that makes us fearful. It's the journey of getting there. That is exactly what's happening to the people of God in this text. In this passage of Isaiah, that is exactly the situation. God is saying to them, hey, I'm going to take you back to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild it. Right now they're in captivity in Babylon. And God is saying to them, I'm going to break this hold of this captor. I'm going to break the hold of King Nebuchadnezzar that's enslaved your people for 50 years. I'm going to release you to journey back to your homeland. You're going to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, reestablish worship. You're going to usher in a new era. And people love that. When they heard that, they would have said, yes, that's what we want. And then God said, come on then, let's go. And that's when people kind of began to balk. And such was the circumstance that when God speaks this in, through Isaiah at this time, and he tells people, hey, I'm going to give you this opportunity to leave, that actually the people who left were some of the people many chose to stay. So it's so interesting. They've been in captivity for 50 years, right? And a whole bunch of them chose to stay in captivity rather than go back and take the risk of the new thing that God had promised them. We're going to read a few more verses so we can kind of unpack it a bit. So we're going to read from Isaiah 43, 14 to 19. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. Here's what he's saying. The very thing, the vehicle they've used to bring their dominance upon the planet, I'm, they're going to flee in that very same vehicle. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. He's saying this, hey, remember when I brought your people out of Egypt. I've already brought you out of one uh, a slavery, one bondage, one exile. I'm now taking you into another one similarly. Then it says this, the next verse, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Here's the background. Nebuchadnezzar is this uh, uh, elite leader. He's built an empire. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's utterly defeated them, destroyed their walls, destroyed the temple. He's taken captive the elite, which was common at the time. So he took all the educated people. He took them and he, he kept them in his in Babylon, and there they really served his empire. And so this is the group to which Isaiah speaks. It's a group of people who have been captured and have lived in captivity for 50 years under this 
oppressor. And uh, if you're wondering about the history of Nebuchadnezzar, it's really interesting because I went uh, to the British Museum one time with Leah, and as we were looking at the different interesting articles in the British Museum, we saw a brick stamped with Nebuchadnezzar's name on it. And they said that this brick was inscribed by Nebuchadnezzar, and actually when he built his uh, you know, buildings, that actually each brick would be stamped. Thousands upon thousands of bricks were stamped with his name. Such was his influence and dominance and power. And actually his name, they say actually in the Bible when we have the name Nebuchadnezzar, they reckon actually that was a bit of a derogatory pun. His actual name was Nebuchadnezzar. I'm so glad they changed it. And, uh, and, and the name means this, Nebu, protect the boundary. Nebu, protect the boundary. Here's what it's like saying, James Byrne, keeper of the walls. You know, so what it's saying is, uh, uh, in those times, uh, 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 an area would be protected by a wall. If you did not have a wall to protect you, you were always full foul to being ransacked or you know attacked, and and so people would have a wall of protection. And so really, what they're saying is, hey, Nebu, he protects the boundary. He's the protector of the wall. Our faith is in him. But actually, the word Nebuchadnezzar means Nebu, protect my donkey's butt. <laughs> yeah, or Nebu, protect my jackass. Right, is another way of saying, yeah, yeah, come on. So they actually reckon, come on, yeah, this is deep this morning, people. Come on, like, yeah, yeah, serious. I couldn't share this in the eight. They would have been offended. But I thought, and we don't have a 12. I would have kept it for the 12, but sorry, guys, you got it. Come on, this is fresh revelation. Come on, yeah. So it's like a derogatory term. They're actually using a derogatory term about him. It's, it's, it's interesting. But the person existed. We've just seen a brick that shows you there's archaeological evidence to back up what I'm talking about this morning in the text. And so these people, uh, God is telling them it's time to break out. I'm going to actually make a way. And this dictator that suppressed you, I'm going to come against. It says this in verse 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. So he, right at the beginning, here's what he's saying. He's stating who's speaking. He's not saying God says. He's saying the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He's backing up what he's saying by saying, hey, listen to who's declaring this, right? So Isaiah is speaking this prophecy, but it's very, very clear that God is speaking. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. He's saying you're just about to break into a new season. It would have been so hard for them to have imagined how this would happen because they've been in captivity 50 years and the dominance of this king did not look like it was going to wane. So the people would not have been able to uh, uh, imagine how God was to deliver them. They had to just take the truth, I'm going to deliver you. right? I'm going to break the hold that this person has upon you. There would have been no signs of change, but sure enough, change came. In 538 BC, the Persian king Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon, defeated Nebuchadnezzar, took over that city and his empire in time. And, and, and he made a decree that was different to Nebuchadnezzar's, which is whatever people I conquer, they can keep their faith. So whatever people I conquer, they can practice their religion. And so the result of that was that he said to the Jewish people, hey, you may return to Jerusalem, you can rebuild the walls, you can rebuild the temple, you're still ultimately going to be under my control, but I'm going to give you that free reign. They could have never seen it coming, but that's what happened. God made a promise and then he delivered it. I want to encourage you, God has made many promises to you and I, which he will deliver. If you look at the scripture, there's 3,000 promises. Come on, 3,000 promises 
promises for you and for I. God will keep, he's a keeper of his promise. If you need to, you need to get a hold of those scriptures. You need to speak them over you. Leah's been provoking me recently through this little book that Joyce Meyer wrote where you declare these scriptures over you, all these promises of God. And I'm just blown away by how many promises of God there are. God has promises he wants to fulfill in your life. But also this, God is whispering personal promises to you. He's whispering personal promises to you. Some of you, he has been whispering them for a long time. There's prophecies or things that were spoken over you which haven't yet come to pass. Things that when you heard them, it resonated in your spirit and you knew it was of God for you. And friend, I want to provoke you again to stir up that faith and to stir up that promise, right? For others, God's just been speaking to you very recently. Even maybe even now God is speaking to you and he's speaking into your heart promises, things that he wants to see unfold in your 2020, in your next season. So the people now have experienced God defeat the external oppression. Okay, So the external oppression, the limiter of them coming into what God has, is the king of Babylon. He's now defeated. So external pressure is gone. Next, which God, what God attacks within them is their internal pressure. Right. So as I was saying, we want change, we want the future, but we don't want the journey to get there. Right. So he now is speaking into people, into his people, provoking them. Hey, I've removed Nebuchadnezzar. And now I'm provoking you to actually believe and to rise up and to step out now on this journey, which we're going to travel back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. And it says this in verse 19, watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now. Even as I speak, you're about to see it. I'm preparing a way through the desert. Waters will flow where there had been none. He's trying to convince them, hey, I'm bringing you into something good. You're going to have to trust me in this. Come on, let's go now. We're going to go again onto a journey. I'm with you. I have got you. Now, you would think that after people have been in captivity 50 years, that when God says to them, hey, we're going to return and we're going to rebuild Jerusalem, our best days are ahead, the people would have cheered and said, yes, amen, we're coming with you. But that was not the resounding response of people. Initially, it would have been when they heard we're going to rebuild Jerusalem, yay, hey, God's, I'm going to rebuild the temple, yay, the walls are going to be rebuilt, yay. And hey, you're going to travel through a wilderness of danger and then you're going to get there and it's all broken down and you're going to start from nothing and you're going to build it up. Yay! (laughs) Here's what it's like. It's like, hey, Christian, God's calling you to something. Yeah! Come on, God's going to do awesome things through your life. Yay! Hey, and there's a journey of pain and transformation as you go towards it. Yay! (laughs) I'm a Christian, but don't ask me to have any faith. Come on. It's hard to comprehend how frightening this prospect would have been. Listen, the people that he's speaking to have been there for 50 years. That means the people who are young enough and fit enough to travel have never seen Jerusalem. They've only heard about it. They've never known anything other than the captivity they live in. They're not in their true home, but it is the only home they've known. The journey ahead was fraught with danger. The journey was an 800 to 1,400 kilometer journey, depending on the route you took. 
It would take four months to travel it, minimum. It was a harsh wilderness, desert-type terrain. They would have been vulnerable to exhaustion. They would have been vulnerable to attack by bandits. And then when they returned to Jerusalem, they would not have returned to a place where there is a rug in front of a fire and a table full of food. They would have returned to a devastated land. And a taxing task was ahead of them of rebuilding something from nothing. So these are really like a pioneering people. They've got to re-pioneer. They've got to go again now and rebuild, cut something out. Now God's telling them it's going to happen. God's telling them what's going to be the outcome of this. But he's asking them to believe and trust him on the journey to get there. Come on. Fear of change is the resistance that usually stops us, not that we don't like the promise. Come on. And, and you know what's interesting? I love how Joyce Meyer talks about fear. She says this. She says that fear is false evidence appearing real. So here's what God said. I'm with you. We're going to do this. Come on, let's go. He's shown them the vision. He said we're going to go, right? That's what he said. But then what's happening in their mind is, they're thinking, oh, there's gonna, there could be bandits. Well, where are we going to get any food from? Oh, I haven't been feeling that well lately. <coughs> Got a bit of a chesty cough. You know, I don't know if I could make it. Oh, man, then we're going to get there. What happens? We could, there's no walls. There's no walls, man. We could be attacked at any moment, mate. Remember the Philistines, those, they could be waiting for us. This, suddenly they've created this fanciful illusion, right? A prediction of the future. Not the future, uh, uh, an imagined future. They've created in their mind an imagination of the future. False evidence appearing real because it is in complete conflict to everything God has said. I want to encourage you that if God is calling you to something, he will get you there, right? You've got to take the, the faith to start walking that journey out, right? But God is going to take you there. It's either of God or it's not of God. If it's of God, he's going to bring you there. I remember years ago, there was a young girl in our youth ministry. I was a brand new uh, youth leader. And, uh, and this, this girl, she suffered um, breast cancer. She was really young, like 17. It was really unusual. And she had to have a mastectomy, right? So she had to have you know, some surgery as a result of that. And we, well, not me, but some of the team counseled her and helped her you know, over that process. And this girl was an overcomer. Anyway, she comes to me one day and she says, I want to meet with you. And I met you. She goes, God's spoken to me. I went to another youth event, another youth ministry. My ears pricked up straight away. We don't like that as pastors. We don't like people going to other youth ministries, right? No, no. But she, my eyes pricked up. And I said, oh, yes. You know, and she says, yeah, I went there and God spoke to me. They had this preacher come in. It was this event. And God spoke to me. And he told me, I'm going to win my school for Jesus. So I said, okay, yeah, right, great. It's really horrible when one of your youth that you lead has more faith than you. <laughs> so she says, so I said, okay, right, all right. So how are you going to go about it? She goes, well, I don't know, but I just know God said that to me. So I want you to be ready. I'm going to organize a band to come. I'm going to speak to my school and I want you to preach. I said, sure, okay, great. That'll be good. See ya. She walked out. I thought I'd never see her again. Anyway, a week later, she comes back to me. She goes, it's lined up. I've spoken to the school. I've contacted this band. They're going to come and play. You've now got to meet with the chaplain of the school to talk about the message you're going to preach. I'm like, okay, right. You know, so I went down there, met with the chaplain. I said, hey, I'm going to speak this message and blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm going to do an order call for salvation. I'm going to call people forward to be saved. Is that okay? And he said, yes, you can, but no one will come. I said, okay. 
he said, he said, people won't respond here. I said, okay. So I spoke to the girl. I said, hey, look, you know, we're going to do this thing. And I said, you know, you really believe in God's told you people. Yep, yeah, I'm absolutely believing it. I'm like, okay, great. I was sweating it, man. Like in the lead up to that, she's happy, full of faith. You know, she'd heard God. She's walking in faith. I'm walking in fear. You know, I'm imagining, man, no one's going to come forward. What's going to happen? I could offend them in what I say. Do they know I used to be a drug addict? I don't know if they even know my story. I made it all about me. You know, I was all full of fear. Anyway, I remember with the band did great. The place was absolutely packed. They had this auditorium. It was just full. All the students were there, right? It was going off. The band was great. Then they said, here's the guest speaker. And I come on. Anyway, did my little message. I stole a lot of the message off of another successful preacher that I'd heard. And I kind of put it together and put it out there. And then I said, and I said, today, if you want to repent and give your life to Jesus, come forward. And I'd already prepped my youth team. Hey, you guys come straight away, right? So that if no one comes, it looks like someone's responding, right? But before, before before the youth team had a chance, everyone just came. So literally out of the auditorium, three quarters of the people responded, right? And came to the front. I was almost knocked over in shock, right? Basically, it was, it was literally just God just moved. God just moved. And people were crying. And then we did a repentance prayer of salvation. People repented. And then the girl lined up follow-up disciples, right, to meet with everyone who'd responded. She took their names and numbers, followed up every one of them. And so a whole bunch of those people go through into, you know, really a living relationship with Jesus. Come on. God told her the outcome. Come on. Come on. God told her the outcome. And then she began to walk in it and it came together. Come on. I want to encourage you. God wants to stir us again. What is it he has said? Do not let fear hold you back. It's so interesting. God's saying, I'm going to take you there. She's saying, yeah, great, I'm going. And it all starts to happen. And I'm in fear and uncertainty and making that whole process arduous and taxing and painful. And actually, if it wasn't for her, we would have never gone there. But she realized, no, she, was, she had enough faith to say, God said it, God's going to do it. And it all came to plan. God profoundly spoke to me that day, profoundly spoke to me, rebuked me, challenged me to have faith. It's interesting how we'll just get, we'll settle for the status quo because we're too scared of the journey to get there. I, don't go on, I wanted to see the school saved. I was passionate to see the school saved. I was just terrified of the journey to get there. You know, um, I've, through my, my, my life, I've met several people who have shared with me that they've been, after being in jail for a considerable period of time, they're now more comfortable in jail than they are in the real world. I've met this, it's happened to me a few times. People said to me, listen, I'm good in jail, but I'm no good in the real world. You know, I'm comfortable in jail, but I can't live in the real world. And some of those people even said to me, hey, when I get out, I commit crime on purpose so that I can go back in. When I asked them, you know, why? Like, why is that? They would say things to me, well, look, in jail, it's three meals a day. You know, I'm told when to exercise. I'm told when to sleep. You know, I'm told when to, when to use the bathroom, you know. It's, there's no rent to pay. I haven't got to get any money for, for food. I don't have to have a job. There's kind of less temptation. I get myself in less trouble in jail. You know, so I'm more comfortable in jail. Man, God does not want us to live like that that we never come into the freedom and the liberty and the blessing, the breakthrough and the joy of seeing God move in an amazing way because we, we, we stay with what we know. God is provoking us and he's provoking his people through this passage. Come on now. I want to take you into something awesome, but you're going to have to have some courage. You know, you know, you know I, so I saw this, this meme, right? And it was like, you know the Coyote Roadrunner? 
Anyone seen that critter? He chases the roadrunner, right? And basically they had him and he's gone off the cliff and he's just spinning in midair. You know, you know that image they have on the cartoon? He's spinning in midair and then he drops. Well, it's the part where he's spinning in midair and it says, this is what real faith looks like. And I thought, man, that's so true. It is so true. Like God tells you, hey, we're going to go there and then you've got to go, what? You know, what? Like, walk, yeah, yeah, walk on that. As you walk, something's going to happen. As you go, you know, the girl's like, I'm going to see my school saved. Okay, I'm going to make a call and book the band. Oh, I'm gonna, and she went step after step after step after step, and she walked into that breakthrough. Come on. God wants us to have faith to take the step. What is God talking to you about for 2020? You know, for some people here, it's a career change. God's been talking to you about the career change, but fear is holding you back. For others, it's that it's the, you want a better marriage. You want a better marriage, but it's the journey of getting there, man. It's booking the counsellor and speaking to your spouse. and You want, you can see a better marriage, but the journey getting there is, is gripping you with fear. Others, it's you want to be a more engaged parent. For others, it's you, 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 you know you need to study, but you've got the, the faith gap is the financial cost of that. You know? For others, it's, it's time to deal with that addiction. You know, God's been talking to you about it. You keep on justifying it and minimizing it, but now's the time. God wants you to give that to him now. He wants you to go on the journey of getting free from that addiction. For others, it's to start a business. For others, it's time to get out there and just meet some new people. You know, some, some of us, we're locked up into our insular way of being and God's trying to provoke us to get out there more, to get amongst some people. Then there's people here, you want to be married, but you've got to get out to meet someone. You know what I'm saying? You've got to expand the group of friends you currently have. Put yourself into some environments you're less comfortable with. Maybe it's a new area of ministry in church. Or, hey, or maybe you've got this really cool idea or initiative, like you've got this really cool idea, and maybe it's for your workplace, or maybe it's an idea, an entrepreneurial kind of business idea, or maybe it's an idea in church of how you could change the way we do something, but there's something that's on you, it's this, this idea, God's saying, come on now, it's time to bring it out, like come on now, I've, I've put that in you, I've been speaking to you about this for long enough now, come on, it's time to take a step and begin to go on the journey of bringing that thing into reality. There's always fear in change that must be embraced if we are to live in the new promised land. Next, God says this to them in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. And this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick, He's saying this, hey, remember the exodus when I brought your people out of Egypt? Hey, remember back. I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of when your ancestors were enslaved in Egypt, I called Moses, who rose up. Ten plagues I brought upon Pharaoh. He released you. As you were fleeing across the desert, just like I'm asking you to flee now back to Jerusalem. As you were fleeing, across, your people were fleeing across the desert, and you faced the Red Sea, and the hordes of the Egyptian army were bearing down upon you. I parted the Red Sea, and you passed through. And as you passed through, the waters came down and snuffed out, destroyed completely the Egyptian army. That's what he's saying to them to remember. He's saying this, remember I've done past miracles, I can do miracles now. I've done past deliverances in your life, I can do miracles now. He's saying recall the past things I've done that you might have faith for now. But then in the next verse, listen, in the next verse he says this, forget the former things, stop dwelling on the past. 
<laughs> it's like, what? It's like, is Isaiah made a mistake? You know, he's saying, remember your heritage, remember your history. And then the next line, he says, forget it, forget it. Now, when he said that to those people, it would have been offensive. Here's why. The Egyptian exodus is fundamental to the history of Israel. This is fundamental to the Jewish people group. Even now, if you speak to Jewish people, they'll say, we celebrate Passover. Each year they get the family together and they celebrate Passover. And they remember when God brought them out of Egypt. It defines the very fabric of who they are. And yet, God through Isaiah is saying, forget about it. Forget about it. What does he mean? Remember, forget. Remember, forget. Here's what he means. He means, remember, I'm the God of miracles, but forget the how I did it. Hey, remember I'm the God of miracles, but forget the method that I used. Here's what he's saying. I'm taking you on a trip now. Last time when I took you, the sea parted. There was a pillar of fire by night to guard you, a cloud by day to guard you. Manna rained down from heaven and food was provided. But this time it will not look like that. It will be completely different. And just as that was an amazement to you, the miracle God did to take you towards the promise he gave you, that was amazing and a miracle. This is going to be just as amazing. You need a fresh miracle, a fresh deliverance, a fresh experience. You can't live on past miracles. You can't live on another generation's miracles. And you can't even live on your own past miracles. There's people, and, and I find this myself, I can be talking to someone and I'm pulling out stories and the things are 10 years old. I'm pulling out miracle stories and they're 10 years old. 10 years old miracle stories are great, but we need ones today, now. You tell me about your miracle last week. You tell me a few months ago what God was doing. You tell me what he's pushing you into and causing you to believe for now. But what can happen is we can sit on past miracles. We can sit on past deliverances. Never embrace the new thing that God is trying to do. He wants to continually do new things in our life and in our experience if we will let him. Come on, if we will let him. God is inviting you. To something new. It's not a guarantee because we've got to make a decision to be obedient to what God is saying. God's giving you dreams. He's putting things in your heart. He's speaking things into our very being. But unless we make a decision, God, I'm going to take the courageous step and go on the journey. I'm going to apply the faith to go on the journey. We may never come into the new thing. And that is true because in this context, many of the people left and went back to Jerusalem and re-established the whole order of things, the worship to God, the walls being established, the whole, the whole restoration of the people. But a whole bunch of people still and never left captivity. They stayed where they were. We need to remember past miracles but not idolize them. And just fine, I'm going to finish on this point as the band has come. When Jesus was preparing his followers for change in the New Testament, he was prepping them for a transition from an old covenant to a new. He's preparing them to move from thinking that says, hey, I follow set rules, I make set sacrifices, and by those things I'm right with God. He's moving them into a brand new covenant which says this, hey, now God in your place has died for your sins. God in your place has overcome. Now you're not obedient through a set of rules. Now the law is actually going to be written upon your heart. That actually you're going to have this relationship now, this relationship with God, not that's based through rules and law, but it's based through an experiential relationship. I'm going to lead you and empower you to do what you could never do through the law. The problem with the law was this. The law would say, do this, do that, do that. Don't do this. And when it said, don't do something, you'd want to do it. Elodie, my youngest daughter, we can say to her, Elodie, don't touch that. Don't, if you touch that, there's going to be a consequence. And she'll be like this. Oh, Elodie, don't touch that. If you touch that, it's going to be a consequence. Elodie, Elodie, Elodie. She touches it. And then we have to give her the consequence. 
If I hadn't told her about that thing, she would have never wanted to touch it. That was the law. That was the law. What it was trying to do, sin affected it and caused it to do the very opposite thing. So Jesus is saying, okay, I'm coming now. I'm bringing in a brand new covenant. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to empower people to live for me. They're going to be empowered by grace and hope and love. And what they could never fulfill will now be fulfilled in me. And so he's trying to bring them into this thinking. But they, to shift your thinking on this is huge. And so he says this in Luke 5, 36 to 39. And he gave them this illustration. No one rips up a new garment to make patches for an old, worn-out one. If you tear up the new, make a patch for the old, it will not match the old garment. Here's what he's talking about. If you get some cloth that has not been shrunk, you put it onto an old garment that has been washed previously and has shrunk. When you wash that, the, the patch will shrink and it will rip a bigger hole in the garment. He's saying, literally, if you try to pin this if you try to pin this onto your old thinking, all that's going to happen is you're going to have be more of a mess. You can't pin this thing on. You've got to get rid of the old and bring in the new. Then he says this, And who pours new wine into an old wineskin? If someone did, the old wineskin would burst and the new wine would be lost. New wine must always be poured into new wineskins. Yet you say, the old ways are better and you refuse to even taste the new thing that I bring. Here's what he's talking about. A wineskin would look like this. It was made from an animal's intestine, the stomach. And what would happen is they would get one, they would fill it with wine and it would ferment, it would expand. And because there was elasticity in the um, skin, it would expand. But if you had an old wineskin, it would be dried up, it would be brittle. You would put the wine in, all would look good. But as it fermented and the wine tried to expand and to grow, it, could, it was limited by the skin and it would burst out of that skin. Here's what God's saying. Your heart's got to grow for where I'm taking you to. Your heart's got to grow. The receiver of what I'm trying to bring to you has got to grow for me to take you there. I've told you the vision. You're wondering why you're not getting there. It's because your heart needs to expand and to grow. I need to be closer to God than I've been before. Where God wants to take me to now, I've got to be closer to God than I've been before to get there. God is calling us to be made new. So He wants to do something new in us. We've got to be made new first. He wants to start with the heart. Hey, we're called Global Heart Church. Why? Because we understand it's first, it's in your heart. God's got to do something in you, in you first before He can burst something out of you. And so some of us, the journey, the fear of the journey is to change the internal change that we've got to make. God wants to make the vessel ready to carry the new move of God. Are you ready? God wants to make the, ves the vessel ready. The new move of God requires a new receptivity in the hearts of God's people. Friend, what is God talking to you about in 2020? What is the journey that you need to, in faith, begin to embark upon? And how do you need to enlarge your spiritual life that you might be fit to get there? Come on, let's think about that. Let's stand, let's worship God. Come on. For more about Global Heart Church, download our app today or visit us at globalheartchurch.com.